This is Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. This is a place for encouragement and hope as Richard challenges us to continue to grow in Jesus. And all month long, he's focused on holiday themes as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas. Now, if you're not able to stay with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up on the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. Every talk can be listened to whenever you're ready on your own time at richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Gift Tag. I don't know what it's like in your house around Christmas, but in my house, it was this way with my mom, and actually, it's the same thing with my wife. Most of the gifts get wrapped by the women in my house, that's the case. I usually wrap one gift a year. It's pretty extraordinary. Mitered corners, it all folds in. I think I've accomplished something, and Rebecca's done, you know, dozens. But inevitably, with my mom, or even with my wife, all this stuff would get wrapped put under the tree, and here we go. You know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever you're doing with the gifts. And you start handing stuff out, and then the boxes with no gift tags start showing up. So it's all wrapped, but we just have no idea what's in it. And we don't know who it's for. And there's that moment where mama's looking at the box, she's shaking the box, she's thinking, trying to figure out the size of it, who is this for, she's done a great job. And then you kind of start peeling back corners to see what's in there and put the tape back down. Gift tag is a big deal because the gift tag says what on it usually? To and from, two things. So you know who it's for, who it's going to, and who it's from. Matthew chapter two. So we're not gonna stay in here the whole time, but let's read a little bit of this. Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So a king has been born, he's got his own star, and we're here to worship. You don't worship somebody unless they're deity. So they declare what they're there for. Then when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So Jesus did not show up or the stir about a king, a star, worship, these wise men, all it says, all of Jerusalem is troubled. So you think, well, they didn't sneak in town, nobody knew. So it begins now, you've got all of Israel waiting for Messiah, the wise men show up, king of the Jews, they start asking questions, and what is the simple question? Where is he? And you get the answer here in just a minute, which is very important. Everybody's troubled when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribe of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So what are they looking for? He is specifically gathering them and asking one question, where is the Messiah, the Christ, to be born? Because that's who these wise men are looking for. What's the answer? So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they know, now he knows, and the wise men know, the city is Bethlehem. So people wonder, well, how would this star direct them? Like beaming down light on Bethlehem. They didn't need a beam down on Bethlehem. The scriptures told them, And it was relayed from the chief priests, the Pharisees here, this is where you need to go look. 
So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, there's where he's going to be. Then verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. So you say, well, is he going to look? And I know I'm ruining your Christmas cards. I've done this before, but I'll do it again. You say, well, there they went and there was Jesus in a manger. It's not true. Okay. When the wise men showed up, Jesus was not a newborn baby in a manger and all those pageants you've seen. It's just not biblical, but they're impressive. So anyhow, so it's been within the last two years that the star showed up. So Jesus is not a newborn, but they're going, they want to find him. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He has no intention of worshiping him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, so they're not in a stable, they're not in the stable in the end. They found a house now. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, what's a bummer here about this whole story is Jesus is the first kid to be born on Christmas Day and have his birthday and Christmas on the same day, which is just a terrible thing if that's your story. So these guys bring what? They bring gifts. So what do you got? What are you bringing? My dad used to tell a story about a church service where the offering plate, they had the, you know, if you remember the big gold plates with the, I think they had like velvet bottoms and pretty impressive. Remember that? Red, they're usually red. They make great Frisbees if you don't get caught. Um, so he remembers this offering and a little boy got the plate and he realized he had nothing. So he set it down on the ground and he stepped in the plate. In other words, this is all I got. Part of the reason people don't bring Jesus anything, don't worship him, is they're afraid to come to him. I've talked to a couple here today, and they were pumped, and I don't know if it worked out or not, but they've been going to a restaurant, and they invited a bunch of people to come to church and be here. There's a good chance they didn't show up. And what I try to explain to people out of my own disappointment through the years is you invite people, you say, hey, come, they go, yeah, we'll be there. And they tell you all this stuff. And then you look, 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 and they didn't make it. And it's very disappointing. This is a hard thing to do. People don't even like going to emergency rooms, but you get sick enough, you'll drive yourself to an emergency room. And you say, you know, if you're hurting bad, you go, well, I, you know, I need to do my makeup. Not a lot of makeup getting put on to go to the emergency room if you're in trouble. Because you're not worried about how you look, you're worried about how you feel. So they're terrified a lot of times, and I've shared this through the years, that we have had people we know for a fact pull into the parking lot, sit there for 30 minutes, and drive off. So you almost have to have spotters in the parking lot. Because how are they feeling? I've jacked my whole life up. I've screwed it all up. I've done this, this, and this. Those people in there are better than me. The devil's just pounding on you and telling you you're not worthy, you won't be accepted. If they find out who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you're out. And unfortunately, there are some churches that that's exactly what's happened, and so they don't want that experience. But if you love them personally, not here, you love them out there, you give yourself to them and they realize that you've given yourself to God and there's a relationship and you really care about them, they, what they think is there's a chance if there's one of you, there might be more of you. And so they might sneak in and see if it's true. 
And then they walk in, and what did Jesus say? By this they will know that you're my disciples, you're my followers. Not that you dress properly, that you know a ton of scripture, your songs are great, all that stuff. That you love one another. So if we do that well, we got a better shot at reaching hurting people. So what have you got for him? Unfortunately, what a lot of people have is nothing. In fact, it's not nothing, it's less than nothing. There are some people in the world that think, well, I'm going to write a check. I'll give money to God. And that'll, we'll have a bartering system and I'll give him money, give it to a church. And then when I show up on the judgment day, I'll go, good to see you, God. Remember that big check I wrote that day at church? I figure we cut a deal and I'm all good, right? Remember the wing on the hospital? Remember the little old lady that helped cross the street? Remember, remember, remember? And he's going to come back and say, all I remember is Jesus. So where's he in your picture? And it can't be Jesus and a bunch of other stuff. So the first thing you bring to Jesus sometimes is nothing and less than nothing and trade your nothing in on his everything. Go to Matthew chapter six, verse one. And here Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, Do not sound a trumpet before as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. This is not me, so I can tell this story. My wife, one of my daughters in a store, I think I've shared this before maybe, but this is the coolest thing. I think I was out waiting in the car because that was the best place for me. And they come out, kind of scurrying out, jump in the car and hide because they were behind a girl, a lady and a girl, I think it was, in the checkout and overheard them talking about, do we have enough for all of this? And so Rebecca had an opportunity with one of my girls to, you know, stealthily cover that and get out of there. And so I think the lady actually was in a wheelchair, possibly. So they come out of the store and they're looking to see who did it. They're in the car and we're having a blast. Way bigger time than anything you could go in the store and buy. Way bigger time. You say, well, how does that work? You got to be listening and you got to be willing and you got to realize you will never outgive God. See, if you hold on to it like, oh my gosh, I got to hold on to this because this is all I got. It can't be all you've got if you've got God because if you've got God, you've got all you need. And way past that. Just try outgiving him. See what happens. Go to Matthew 27. And I wish I could take the time to read this whole thing. There's no way to read it. But now we got Jesus on a cross. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the sin of the world is dumped on him. God turns his back on him basically. And he literally, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it's not just that he took sin on himself, he literally became sin and then died with all of that on him. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So he dies. And what happens when he dies on that cross outside of town? Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. 
And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When did they come out of the graves? After his resurrection. So he got raised from the dead, and then all these people start showing up raised from the dead. You think Jerusalem doesn't know something happened? You got earthquakes, you got a, an eclipse, lunar eclipse, you got all kind of stuff going down. And about 33 years and nine months before, you got wise men showing up saying, we've seen a star, we came to worship, where is he? You start adding all that up, how do you come up with anything but the Messiah? Now listen to me, you've been hearing the gospel in this room and beyond here for a long time maybe. How long before you're gonna put it all together? What's it gonna take? Oh, I'm going to think about it some more. About what? He's either Messiah or he's not. Well, we're going to do the math and see if it's really him. And, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait. On what? If you're waiting on death, that'll be too late. Well, I just need to get my life, you know, need to put some makeup on before I go to the emergency room. Oh, that's brilliant. It's life and death and you're worried about how you look, what's going on. At some point, you just gotta say, God, I'm lost, I'm screwed up. I can't do this without you. I get it, I'm gonna do this. I take a step of faith and we'll talk about that in a minute. But look what happens here. The temple veil is torn top to bottom, meaning God ripped it. People coming out of graves, verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, very fascinating. What are they guarding? A dead man. What could he possibly do? When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying what? Truly, this was the son of God. In their case, the gift wasn't under the tree, it was on the tree. And at some point, this is not complicated. I got a number of people right now that I've shared the gospel with, and in at least one case, they are angry with me. I'm okay with that because they are wrestling with the God of the universe. They're wrestling with truth. They wanna say, this is not true, I've never heard this. I want my life the way I want it. It's just this war that breaks out. If you're a Christian, you have fought that battle where you had to pick a side and it's either him or it's not. And it's either a free gift or it's not. You can either pay for it or you can't. You have to admit that you're a sinner. I mean, it's a humbling thing, but what are your options? Oh, I'm gonna make a run at it my way. I did it my way. I hate to tell you, and I'm trying to be calm about this. I don't have a towel. I'm not sweating and screaming. I know that used to be the way to do this, but your way's not gonna work. You drop dead without Jesus. You're not facing Jesus. The Bible says you're facing the great white throne judgment. You're facing God Almighty himself one-on-one -on -one, and you will have to answer. And the only answer, and if you're before him, you don't have an answer or you wouldn't be in front of him. You'd be in the other spot in front of Jesus. And when you come face to face with a holy God and your answer is, I did it my way, I don't have a verse for this and I don't think he'll say this, but it's kind of one of those, and how is that gonna work out for you? Not too good. Because if your way is not my way, there's no way. And people say, oh, you're being judgmental and narrow. Look, I didn't write this stuff. I'm just gonna have to give an account for telling you the truth or not. So this is how God works. So Rebecca and I left church one day, trying to pray like, should we go to lunch with the kids? But what were we doing? go with them, get to lunch, certain place here in Dallas. And we come out of the restaurant. You say, well, you can't pray about everything, dude. What are you, crazy? You'll, you'll not do anything but pray. So the car was parked down the street, and it would have been one way to go down the sidewalk, the side we were on, and cross the car, or go straight across, and then go down. You say, well, just go to the car. If he prompts you to cross the street a certain way, just do what he says. 
Well, that's stupid, dude. I ain't praying about how I'm crossing the street. And why not? Cross the street, get on the sidewalk, and there's like a pile of some woman's stuff. Like somebody had taken her purse, found her purse, and dumped it all out on the sidewalk, and there's all this stuff. Well, he said, well, why didn't you just keep going? I felt prompted to look at it. So look down there at all the stuff and notice some makeup, pretty expensive makeup because I'm an expert in all those things. So I felt bad for it. Like there's $45, there's a brush, that's expensive. You know, you just, why do I know these things? I don't know. And then I noticed there were two little plastic containers and one of the containers were some earbuds, iPhone earbuds, not cheap. And then in the top little container screwed to that was a little zip drive. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, here we go. I didn't get anything else, but I picked that stuff up, took it home. And I thought, Lord, this is probably a little dangerous. I'm going to put this zip drive in my computer. One document on the zip drive had the girl's information, contact information. I called her phone number. I said, hey, little crazy call, I'm sure. Did your purse get stolen? Yes, somebody went through my car. And I said, I know where your stuff is. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you called. I said, well, I got your zip drive, your earbuds, blah, blah, blah. I gave her my address. She says, I'll be there in just a minute. Told her where to go get her other stuff. She comes to our house pulls in the driveway, gets out of the car, and we have a little conversation. Then I looked at her, and she could be here today for all I know. I looked at her, and I said, you know, this didn't happen just by chance. And the fact that I found you, and you don't know me, I don't know you, but I said, I'm a pastor, and God's up to something in your life. I said, so we're going to pray. And the three of us huddled up, and I prayed for that young woman. He said, well, what came of that? I don't know yet. But that's how God works. So you say, well, am I supposed to go around looking for garbage on the ground? I don't know. Are you? I'm afraid it gets too casual for us. We kind of need him on a case-by-case basis. I'm good today, Lord. You know what? You go help somebody else. We're all good here. I can handle today. I got this. John chapter 1, very simple phrase in John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, let's go back to a Christmas tree. Let's go back to presents under a Christmas tree. They're wrapped, they're ready, they're beautiful, and sometimes even the way they're wrapped is more beautiful than maybe what's even in the box. And so... However you do it in your house, sometimes you give everybody theirs at once and then another person at once or you rotate. But if you have a gift bought and paid for, wrapped, ready to go, and you offer that gift to someone, there's something very important that has to happen in that transaction. And what is that? Before they open it, they have to accept it. They have to receive the gift. Because you could buy an expensive gift. You can wrap it. You can put a to you from and everything's clear. And you say Merry Christmas and the person say, you know what? No thanks. Now that happens every day all over the planet. Been going on for millennia. Where God says Merry Christmas. I wrapped my little boy up. Let him live. Let him die. Everything's done. Everything's done. Merry Christmas. And we say, you know what God thanks, but no thanks. You keep your son. I'm good. I got my own deal figured out. I'm coming back as a duck. (laughs) Or I don't believe all that. You're just kind of born. There's no God. There's no nothing. You're just kind of born. You just go back to you. When you're dead, you're just dead. That's all there is. See, all these theories, all these ideas are great until you drop dead. And then what's true, you'll discover. It's just it'll be too late unless you, by faith, accept it now. So you say, well, you know what? Good for you. 
you got religion, you got this Jesus stuff, that's your crutch, I'm out, I'm gonna figure it out my way. Nobody's judging you. You've pretty much condemned yourself by not accepting the gift. It is that simple. And I've said repeatedly when I share the gospel with people, nobody sits around at Christmas, hands out gifts, accepts gifts, and at the end of the night, they start whipping out receipts. Okay, so you owe me 475. Dude, I didn't know you were buying me that kind of stuff. Yeah, you owe me a lot of money, dude. Merry Christmas, though. But you're paying for your own Christmas. The point of it is no receipt. The only receipt is you receiving. It's the receipt of him. So you say, thank you, God. I have nothing to offer in return, even less than nothing, but I accept. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not that somebody decided to have a baby, it's that God decided to have a child, and he planted a seed inside your heart and mind, and you responded, and you're his, if you respond. And I used to think everybody knew this verse, but John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. That's what it's all about. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why does it say that he gave his only begotten son? Because there ain't a backup. He only had one kid, it's that kid or there's no kid. His only begotten son. The only kid he's going to have this way, one Messiah, one time, that's it, take it or leave it. I'm going to wait for the next Messiah. There is not a next Messiah. Romans chapter 12. We're running out of verses, but we're close. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read this to you a little bit differently today. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You say, well, it doesn't say that. I don't know. What does it say? You say, well, I thought it says present. I like present. God, I'm presenting. I give me as a present to you. You say, well, it's present. Same thing. So I present my body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what do you do? One time, every day, whatever you do, say, Lord, I got a present for you. It's me, my body, a living sacrifice. So whatever you want to do, you want me going through some girl's purse trash on the street, I'm in. You want me talking to somebody, you prompt me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Say whatever you want me to say, go wherever you want me to go. You say, well, where are you going to end up? I don't know. He'll tell you. What's it going to cost me? A whole lot less than what you're going to do wasting your life. So this year, I'm going to make a suggestion sometime before Christmas get you a gift tag and write on there to and write the word God and then the from me and stick it to yourself somewhere. Make a necklace that says that. And remember, that's what it's all about. Last verse is over in Ephesians chapter two. A ton of you know this by heart. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a gift. When I was growing up, and I'm sure, I don't know if all cultures had this, we used to play tag when I was a kid. And you know how it works. You're it, and your job is to chase someone down, and you tag them, and they're it. So I'm going to encourage you to play a little gift tag. And when you sense the hand of God on your life and he touches you 
and says, you're it. It's your turn to chase him down. It's to go after him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all you've got, your body a living sacrifice. You present it to him and see what he can do and see how he can change it. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. So many people like you tell us that Richard's unique way of boiling down God's truths and making his word clear and easy to apply to our daily life is what sets this program apart from everything else on your radio, helping to reach everyone together with God's good news. In fact, reaching everyone together is not only Pastor Richard's ministry mission, but it's also the mission that Jesus commands each believer when he gave us our marching orders in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what these daily talks are all about, to encourage and equip us to be a light of hope to others this Advent season. Now, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the daily Advent calendar at richardellistalks.com to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there on the homepage at richardellistalks.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to surf around for hundreds of other encouraging audio and video talks, tons of interesting blogs, or to submit a request on the prayer wall, or to follow us on social at Talk With Richard, and much more. It's all right there at richardellistalks.com, alongside the Daily Christmas Talks Advent Calendar. So as we wrap up, thank you for listening today, and thank you for praying for Richard. As we look forward to coming alongside you again for the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas on Richard Ellis Talks.